Hello and welcome to the For the Win podcast. I'm Ted Berg, joined on the line today by my colleague, uh, perhaps uh, I would even say perhaps my most reasonable colleague. Is that fair, Mr. Charles Curtis? Whoa, I don't know if that's a compliment, though, because I, I think that, that people want to see less reasonable, but, but I'll take it. I, I like being reasonable, so I'm I feel in. like I feel like you, yeah, I feel like of all the people we work with, there's a lot of, like, there's a lot of smart people, and a lot of people have, like, good arguments about things, but it's like, when I line up with someone's argument, when I'm like, this is a reasonable take on something, I feel like that's usually you. I, I hope so, because uh, I don't want to seem unreasonable and, and uh, hot takey and all those those things that the internet doesn't like. Uh, and I've gotten some some actual some some hate mail on Twitter and and, and uh, email recently about some of the takes I've had. So I'm so, sort of like, how reasonable am I? But I'm I'm in. You know, I like the, I like the, the label. I'll take it. Here's a question: Have you yet received? And and you you've been working you've been working for USA Today for how long? Uh, a year, actually. We're coming up on a year. All right, cool. So, so you're still relatively new compared to me. It's been, I think, four years now for me. Uh, have you yet received a phone call directed from the USA Today switchboard from a reader? No, never. But I did just get my first piece of mail that was sent to USA Today, like, huh. not knowing my, my address. So I was like, okay, maybe that's, that's a, a big moment there. Yeah, that's pretty good. So, but I would wa- watch out for because it's very confusing, uh, and and I hope this isn't too insidery, and I hope this doesn't encourage anybody to start calling the USA Today main office switchboard and demanding to speak to writers. Don't do that. Um, I would hope that anyone listening to the podcast wouldn't necessarily be moved to do that unless they had like some hot breaking scoop they needed to share. In which case, by all means, let me know. But uh, I have. Uh, it's typically over. Over Barry Bonds stuff, I am, as you know, a, a strong st- supporter of Mr. Bonds as a Hall of Fame candidate and as the best baseball player I've ever seen in my lifetime. Uh, so sometimes you'll get phone calls, and what's confusing about them is they come from a USA Today number, a number you can identify as someone from the main office, and then they'll just leave this like extremely long and rambling and angry voicemail, and for a while I was like, people we work with are calling me up to yell about my sports takes like this doesn't feel professional at all and then I finally investigated it after it happened a couple times and found out that it was actually readers who have the time and the the wherewithal to keep calling until they get redirected to my cell phone which is uh, a little uh, it's a little unsettling I, yeah, I feel like that's like one of those things where people get calls from the president, and it's like, please hold for the president, and you go, wait, what? And, and then, you know, you're talking to the president, except this is like the other, complete other side of the coin. You go, like, I would stammer. I would just be like, um, yes, ma'am, sir. You know, yeah. I, I wouldn't know how to respond, and i just kind of go through it and say, okay, thank you for your call, <laughs> as if I was on, on the radio. Yeah, it's a yeah, it's a it's probably the way to go. Luckily, I've never actually I I've never taken the call because I I've always just sort of let it go to voicemail. Um, and I, I'm I'm happy to say I haven't actually had to have that awkward conversation. But let's have our own awkward conversation. Usually, uh, Hemel is here on on the late week show to take some Q and A questions, but Hemel is overseas right now, and uh, I am still hoping to uh, catch up with her in. In India, I'm not sure we'll be able to make that happen because time zones are a very complicated thing, especially for 
me, I hate time zones and don't understand them uh, and feel strongly that we should eliminate them entirely and just all agree that it's the same time. But uh, we do have some Q&As, and Charles, I'm hoping you can, you can uh, fill in for Hemel with some reasonable takes on some things that people have asked us about. Uh, I'm, I'm cracking my knuckles. I'm getting the, getting the reasonable takes ready. Let's do it. And I should say that uh, Hemel does not like talking about food, which makes the Q&A questions tough because like 90% of the, the questions I'm asked are about food, uh, whereas you are a neighbor of mine and so a great resource on local food. Yeah. I, I, we, how can you not? I mean, I, I understand Hemel doesn't like to talk about food, but I love to... I, absolutely can talk about food for days so uh you know i'm I, i'm psyched for, for all these questions all right well good let's get let's get after it um and the first one comes from our editor nina mandel and this is a food question but she wants to know if if she should buy football shaped cookies for a super bowl party or if that's lame that's a really good question. I don't think it's lame at all because cookies are cookies. You know, like I don't. I'm not a, a, a anti theme. Let, let me throw this in. Um, my wife is is a very. Uh, she likes to throw a party with a theme, and she really goes all out. It's it's something that that she's carried through her family, um, and I really I really admire that because I'm lazy, and I'll just be like, here, I brought a bunch of black and white cookies because we know that's a New York staple for the Super Bowl party. Here you go. Uh, and people would eat them and not care. But I think buying football-shaped cookies, it's not lame. It's going that, like, little extra step. And, and you, like I said, it's cookies. Like, if it's a cupcake shaped like a football, I'd be like, wow, cupcake shaped like a football. And I would eat it. And that's the end of it. And I don't, I don't think there's, um, you know, any, anybody turning their nose down at, at a football-shaped cookie and say, oh, that's so lame. Although, it makes me, it reminds me of, um, of uh, the cookies from... Uh, Ace Ventura, Pet Detective, one of the all-time great movies about sports. Laces out. Um, right, laces out. And so, doubly not lame. I think then people start making Ace Ventura jokes, and it, it becomes a, a, a real good time. So, you know, that, uh, I'm yeah, cool with that. that's a real good point. I think that's a that's a game changer for me. I didn't even really consider the Ace Ventura reference. Uh, I I think that ultimately it comes down to the quality of the cookie, uh, right? Like I would, if the cookies were bad and shaped like footballs, I would be like, yeah, that's lame. That's like wearing the shirt of the band you're going to see, right? Which everybody knows to be lame. People still do it, but it's what, it's what, it's, it's, it's something you're not supposed to do, I don't think. Yeah, I guess so. I, I, I just, I think that like uh, all cookies are good cookies. I mean, in terms of, you know, obviously I, I have my rankings of cookies all time, like I'm sure you do. Uh, but, but a cookie is a cookie, and you know, like, hey, it's shaped like a football. Yum. Yeah, I'm, and and right. If it's a good cookie, and you can get like a pretty good, like I feel like a sugar cookie with like a good icing on top. What, no matter what it looks like, I don't really care. I'm gonna eat it. Right. All right, let's move on. That's a good. That's a solid question from Nina. Um, let's get into a sports question, and this one is one I did not prepare you for, and uh, because it just came in. But oh wow, there's actually another real good one for you. Uh, but but I'll, I'll we'll go quick um, because now we just got a bunch. We we had a we had a long run with no one really asking us questions, and then a bunch just came at me. Um, so this was from Christian Dowd, who is Dowdissimo on Twitter, and he wants to know uh, if the Mets come out flat in April or May, will Terry Collins be on the hot seat? It's a question we've actually answered before on the show. Uh, my straightforward, simple answer is no. 
I think that uh, Collins, by, by coaching the Mets to the World Series in 2015, by leading the Mets despite their rash of injuries in 2016, by being a popular guy in the clubhouse with the players, uh, I think he means too much to the players for the team to, cut, to let him go. And I, and I recognize that you know he's probably not the best strategic manager in baseball. Uh, I think that fans of every single team have gripes with the way their manager is is operating the club, especially on the field. But I do think that Collins, I think that the most important aspect of managing, and I say this as a, a very sort of stat-heavy baseball fan and baseball writer, I think the most important part of managing is actually how you manage the people and the personalities in the clubhouse, uh, how you try to get the most out of everybody on your team, uh, and, and that I think there is a, a big you know, mental and psychological component to that. Um, I think that all managers work di- better, you know, better and worse with different players. A lot of it is personality-based, um, and I think that you know, the grand scheme of the, you know, the, the range of the best tactical manager in baseball to the worst tactical manager in the baseball maybe means the difference of a win or two across the course of the season. And to me, I just can't say that, that a manager who's really uh, motivating every single player on his team as best as he can isn't getting those wins back by just being a well-liked guy that people are psyched to play for. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and disagree with you here. And here's what I, I, I think. And, and this has... Nothing to do with anything you just said, right? What you just said was perfectly rational, reasonable. We all know I like a good rational, reasonable take. But we're talking about a couple of things here. Number one, we're talking about a baseball team. And a baseball team and any sports team, they tend to sometimes just run things badly. And I, you know, wouldn't put past the Mets to sit there and just say we need to change, right? Uh, You know, last season uh, they kind of came back came to the to postseason for one game, obviously, if we count that as the postseason. Uh, I guess we have to now because it's, it's, it's a wild card game. Um, yeah, but, I, use, I always go with postseason but not playoffs for the wild yes, card game. Yes, that's good. That's a good way of doing it. But I think that, that you know certain teams will just say, look, we, we're not getting back to that World Series level that we need to be. Something's wrong. We need to make a change. Now, whether it's, it's because, you know, and, and the players, yes, you're more inside the clubhouse than I've certainly been in the last, you know, few years by a lot. So you know better than I would about how the players feel. But sometimes, like, franchises just don't care what, what players think, unfortunately. And they just think, we need to change. We need to, you know, do something because our window is open and we have to, to do something now. And I kind of think that that coupled with the New York pressure, which I know a lot is made of it, and I know it's blown up to to epic proportions, but it becomes that it, it becomes a factor, unfortunately. That you yeah, know, it becomes I, a distraction, right? It does become right. a distraction. Right, and and it becomes like popular demand wants the the coach, and it just keeps building and building and building. And the the other factor I have in there is that people don't like Terry Collins. Like, there's a surprising amount of Mets fans that I've seen on Twitter and social media. People talking, they go, eh, I don't know, and they keep like. Lobbying for Wally Backman, which I don't think is is, is a solution. That's not happening. Well, Backman, anyway. he, yeah, he's now he's out of the organization, so that's right. That's not the answer there. Right, but it, it's just so funny to me that that was that became a thing because I'm sitting there going, look, the guy left to the World Series. He, you know, kept this team. I think he was a huge factor in keeping this team afloat last year when sort of things were looking a little bit grim. Uh, and and through all those injuries, I mean, let's talk about that. I you know the guy deserves a couple of manager of the year votes in some capacity. Um, but all of that said, I think you know they would consider it if if there's a 
under 500 record through, uh, let's say, June, you know, then you start hearing the rumbles big time, maybe close to the All-Star break. Yeah, I yeah, I mean, he's he is he's not signed beyond this year, right? So, like, that's – and, and he's, he's one of the oldest, if not the oldest, manager in, in baseball. And I think that those are aspects in it. Um, and I think you're probably right. Like, you know, a lot of a lot of things can change between now and then. And I recognize that my, – my point would be just that, like, yes, a lot of Mets fans – really think Terry Collins is an awful manager, but, uh, and this is something I've come to learn from covering baseball. On a national level, every fan of every team thinks their manager sucks. Like, unless you, uh, and, and yeah. until, until October, uh, Orioles fans felt pretty confident that Buck Showalter was a good bullpen manager, which is hilariously ironic because Showalter exited the uh, the postseason with uh, one of the great bullpen management blunders of all time, I think, by leaving Zach Britton, who had been completely unhittable, uh, out of a game because he didn't have a lead and letting Ubaldo Jimenez pitch and uh, thus blowing the game. Uh, so... Uh, Showalter was the one guy who, for whatever reason, carried the reputation as, like, this guy's a good manager, this guy's a good bullpen manager. Uh, Giants fans have a lot of patience with Bruce Bochy, but they'll complain about Bruce Bochy as well, especially when something happens like it did in 2016, when no button you push is working with your bullpen, then people tend to say, oh, it's the manager's fault, when meanwhile, you've got seven guys uh, out in your bullpen who who can't get in now. Uh, so, so I think that... Uh, it's it's just one of these things, and I, I think it kind of goes hand in hand with like the same the things we see of team chemistry, right? Is like if everything's going well, everybody's kind of cool with the guy, and everybody's cool with each other. And when things start falling apart, you start saying, "Well, oh, these guys aren't obviously get, aren't getting along." And this manager, what did he do? Why did this move go wrong? What what happened here? And I don't know. I feel like a lot of it is just about the results on the field, and the results on the field ultimately come down to like talent and randomness. Yeah, and it's it's sad when when a team does something knee jerk, and you just don't you just don't want to deal with the reality that a team is just running itself into the ground. You know, I don't think I I don't I have more faith in the Mets and how they're being run, um, more faith than I did I would say maybe five or six years ago. Um, and even then, things were run well. It's just way more. I mean, it, it yo, makes I would me nervous. Way more. Yeah, it makes me nervous though that that you know w- with all the talent that they have on the mound and with some of the talent that they have uh, at the plate, that that there's the possibility that, that, you know, this sort of tenuous situation could just blow itself up into a huge disappointment. And that's probably the psyche of a Mets fan, as I'm sure you you agree with. Well aware. Uh, and, and I would say, I would bang the Mets on a couple points, which would be, uh, one, I do think there's something murky about the way they handle injuries. I think it's a communication thing more than it is, like, that the Mets doctors are bad. Like, that's a, an outrageous thing to think, right? That the Mets, that, that a... a baseball team worth a billion dollars would not be hiring like the greatest doctors in the world to be their doctors like it's not this is not a, a thing they're messing around with where it's like oh it's some friend of the owner who who has an in now it doesn't work like that right like you are hiring the foremost professionals in their field to be your medical staff and i think that extends all the way down to the trainer who, who mets fans hate and love to beat up and gets booed every every year on opening day but i do think that there's a, a communication breakdown somewhere in the injury chain uh, in the way they're handled up front, the way they're reported about, and then, you know, how, how it ultimately pans out. Something is awry there, right? Because it's always, you know, this guy's day-to-day, it's no big deal, no big deal, and there's no structural damage, he's out for the season and he needs surgery. So... Yeah, it's, so, it's awful. It's, <laughs> it's, it's hard to watch, <laughs> but who knows what it could be attributed to. Right, and uh, again, I don't know what it is, and I, I, I just, one thing I feel confident about is it's not 
bad doctors. That's just not. That's just not a thing. In it, it's just it's so absurd to even suggest that a team would be hiring any any professional sports team would be hiring anyone less than the best orthopedists in their area, right? And I'm certain that the Mets have those, right? It's hospitals for special surgery. Anyone who right. has a sports injury in New York knows, like, that's where you want to go to get your stuff. And there's a lot of other good orthopedists out there, but that's, like, the place. That's the spot to go for when something is acting up. So uh, I don't buy that part of it. I would also say that the Mets, uh, especially Collins, and I, I think he uses the media in this way a little bit, he will frequently say, like, okay, this guy's my starter, and this guy's going to be our second baseman, and this guy's going to be our left fielder, and I don't think he always means that. I think sometimes that's motivating another guy, you know, and and so I think, like, people get very upset like that. Oh, my God, could you believe Terry Collins said, this guy's going to play second base, and then when you actually see how it plays out, that guy doesn't really end up there. You know, Luis Hernandez was the classic one uh, from Uh, years ago, and it was like, oh, well, maybe Maybe that's just to sort of jumpstart Daniel Murphy's training on defense. I want to move on from the Mets because we could talk about the Mets all day. Uh, This one comes from Stephen A., which is at the nimble one. Uh, He wants to know, love or hate the inevitable Super Bowl box pool and then also chili or or pulled pork. Um, I assume he means in a football context. So let's start with the first one. I'm... I don't want to call myself like a problem gambler because um, I'm certainly not that. But I, I'm a I'm a guy who enjoys gambling just sort of uh, on face, like and eh, not big money, you know. But if someone's like, hey, uh, you want to sign up for a Super Bowl box, like, at 100% of the time, I'm going to do it because I just like and, – and I realize that there's no real strategy to that. It's just like, hell, yeah, throw, sure, I'll throw in 20 bucks. Like, I can win more money. I like the rush that comes with that possibility. So I would say I love the Super Bowl box pool. Yep, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, it's uh, like you. I, I hopefully don't call myself a problem gambler, but let's just say I have uh, a, a fantasy sports problem. I have, uh, you know, usually I have like five or six NFL teams, you know, fantasy football teams. Uh, I do way too many baseball teams. I think it's like four or five now, which is three too many. Uh, so on and so forth. So if someone's going to give me a chance to to just throw a little money and make the Super Bowl just that more interest, much more interesting, I'm in. Why not? It's ten bucks or whatever it is, you know. Throw it in, uh, and um, you know, it's like rolling the dice. And and a buddy of mine who is who is you know sort of even more of a of a gambler than I am, you know, he's he's he said I quit those because they're they're too random. And I'm like, well, that's that's okay. It's rolling the dice. It's fun. Like I, there's there's you know, especially if it doesn't cost that much. Uh, I'm I'm in. Why not? Because and one year I actually won some some moolah off of this because and it was funny because I was working during during the Super Bowl as I do and I got a, a text message. It was like, congrats. And I was like, what what are you talking about? And I completely look at my my box pool numbers and suddenly I'm like. Woohoo! I hit you know seven and zero or whatever. I I think my numbers were awful too. It was like six and two or something like that, which is a horrible first quarter score. And I hit yeah. it for some reason. And I was like, yeah, like boom, like super way better, more exciting. Uh, so I'm in for that. Uh, and and then you can you can go on a question too. Uh, yeah, I would say uh, as to the well, uh, just as to the randomness aspect of it, and you're right that there's a little bit of skill to the box pool, right? Like you, yeah, fours and sevens and zeros and ones. Like there's there's some some numbers that are going to come up more than others. Uh, but I I like if I go to a casino, I play roulette because I like the pure randomness aspect of it, right? Like I don't want any skill involved whatsoever. I just want to like, will it hit? Will it hit? Like that's that's just I just want like I feel like roulette and craps are sort of like those like. Uh, uh, 
they're like almost like the the boiled down version of gambling in its purest form just like hey i'm gonna put my money on 32 and see what happens and sometimes it happens and sometimes it doesn't and that's kind of what i like about gambling and also what i like about baseball is just like the i think both reflect the uh randomness that sort of dominates our lives but uh that might be a bigger picture question the next part of it is simpler uh chili or pulled pork for football i'm saying chili yeah, I, I think I'm leaning that direction, too. I love a good bowl of chili. I like making chili. I think making chili is one of the, the easiest things to do in life. You just stick a bunch of pot, uh, stuff in a pot, stick on the lid, and wait X amount of hours or minutes or whatever it is, and boom, you've got yourself a beautiful meal. Um, I do like pulled pork. I think it, for the Super Bowl in a funny way, like I think pulled pork is the way to go because you can put it on a sandwich. You can eat your sandwich. You don't, you're not going to spill chili all over yourself, which is a definite possibility at a Super Bowl party. But... Um, you know, gun to my head, it's chilly, chilly, I would say 95% of the time. Uh, this one comes from, uh, and I'm with you. I, I think, I think I'm with you. And I think that to me, it's about like the chili sort of works on its own in so many ways. Like you have just chili out of a bowl, pulled pork just out of a bowl. I don't know. That's, I, I don't know that I, I've done that. Like I've eaten pulled pork on a platter, but you need sides with that. It's not like a full yep. meal in itself. Uh, chili, you can also pour over nachos. It really is, you can do that with, with pulled pork, but pulled pork is never going to be the only thing you put on the, the chips. You need to get other things. Chili works as just like the only thing you need with chips. Uh, cheese is nice too, but uh, I would say chili more versatile for football watching purposes. I'm going to take the chili all day. Uh, this is from CJM, who's at Old, Co old Coyotes Are Us. Um... <laughs> And he wants to know, let me get a Mets take. Should Noah Syndergaard shave his head to preempt male pattern baldness? No. No. Absolutely not. Yeah. No. No. His uh, hair is his, his calling card. And frankly, for other, other pitchers on the team, the hair is the thing. Right. And, and, and yeah. now, like, because they have Syndergaard and DeGrom, and now this guy Robert Gesellman, for people who don't know, the, yes. Mets, the Mets just keep churning out dudes with, like, beautiful, long, flowing hair and 92-mile-an-hour sliders. And it's awesome, and I think they should all go with it. It's cool to have a thing. I would even say that I'd like to see Matt Harvey grow his hair out, which I feel like would look ridiculous, Ooh. because he is already experiencing some of the uh, traits of male pattern baldness, but, and I feel like his hair is, is thick and would probably get towards more of like a fro type thing going on and I would love to see that and so I want that to happen too. I want every guy on the Mets pitching staff to have the most hair they can possibly pull off. Um, I've also read and I don't know if I believe this or not, but there are baseball players out there who believe that, and they said it in terms of DeGrom, but it probably is true of Syndergaard, the too. The distraction, right? That the, the hair whipping around behind the arm as they throw does sort of distract from the ball. And if that's true, I imagine you're going to start seeing a lot of long-haired pitchers. And I think we have seen an uptick in long-haired pitchers. And so maybe, you know, and, and sometimes that's just these, like, baseball myth things. And, and maybe someone will statistically play it out and say, like, no, you, you might think that, but it's not changing how hard you hit the ball. Um, but if there's anything to that, right, even if there's a psychological lift to thinking, like, I'm deceiving this guy with my long hair, then you're going to start seeing every pitcher in baseball grow long hair. Yeah, and I read that same thing. I think I posted on it last year. I must have, you know, seen it and posted on it because I think it's just an amazing fact that that hair, those flowing locks, are a problem. 
Uh, and if it is a problem, then keep on growing it out. And, and yes, I do love, by the way, that the Mets, you know, when they brought up Giselman, I, I was like, who's this guy? You know, he wasn't a hugely touted prospect, and suddenly he's like, you know, on the top 100 list now, and, and he's, you know, coming up the ranks. And it's amazing the Mets keep finding this, but it's amazing that he's another dude with long hair that the Mets keep finding. And, uh, yeah, do not shave it. Keep growing it out. Uh, anything that, that, that helps. You know, and that also must add some camaraderie to that clubhouse, right? Like, oh, like, what do you use for your hair? You know, <laughs> yeah, we talk know. hair products. Yeah, yeah, there you go. I, you know, I'm on. Uh, yeah, and and I would say I I think I've also read that Syndergaard uh, last off season threatened to cut his hair. I remember he threatened to cut his hair on on Instagram, and I believe his agent called him up and said like, "What are you doing? Stop!" Because it's so much a part of his uh, his brand, so to speak, at this point that it would be bad. You can't go around calling yourself Thor and cutting off all your hair. So uh, no, he's not gonna. He's he shouldn't. Uh, even if he goes male pattern bald, maybe he can go with like the Hulk Hogan look i would be all about that oh yeah it's so true and also you know he could do the headband thing like lebron has done you know because that we all know that lebron has, has done had some problems with that too right uh yeah great uh, a great call uh, i want to get back we got a couple more questions coming up but before we go on uh the the for the win podcast is sponsored in part by blue apron blue apron is the number one fresh ingredient and recipe delivery service in the country charles i've had uh a few weeks now of blue apron food coming to my house it's been great Recipes are really easy to follow. Everything is fairly quick and and, and uh, doesn't require a lot of dishes or a lot of cleanup or, or anything like that because all of the portions are uh, measured out for you in advance, so you're not going to need to, you know, again, like I keep saying it, you're not going to need to buy way more of one thing than you need just for the sake of a meal. They give you exactly what you need for the meal and, and, and not more, uh, except in the case of garlic, which is great because I use uh, a heck of a lot of garlic in all of my cooking, so I appreciate that. Uh, it is uh, it is easy to use. It, like I said, um, I got some. I recently ate. Uh, I'm trying to think of this. So last night we had uh, not quesadillas, what's so enchiladas, and they were delicious. Um, so very enjoyable. Uh, we've got some burgers on ta- tap that I'm probably going to cook tonight. Uh, you can check out this week's menu and get your first three meals free with free shipping by going to blueapron.com slash for the win. You'll love how good it feels and tastes to create incredible home-cooked meals with Blue Apron, so don't wait. That's blueapron.com slash for the win. Blue Apron, it's a better way to cook. Uh, let's get back to questions. This is a good one from at Reno Wallabout, who has asked a bunch of questions on the podcast, uh, and we appreciate all of them because they're generally very good. And this is a good one. Which sport makes for the best sports movies? Uh, I have a great answer for this because everyone says baseball, and I'm I'm sort of bored by that. Is it? I is it? I don't know. I don't. I like major. So I don't think so. Okay, yeah. go on, go on. Tell me your answer. No, I yeah, no, I because I, I have a whole. We could do another podcast entirely about my feelings about baseball movies because I think that that while they're good, uh, some of them are good. I think there's some that are overrated, and I I from a sports angle. We all know baseball is not as dramatic from, from, you know, it's a slower sport. I am throwing in for hockey. I think hockey makes for the best movies by far. And you can look at the list of movies because there's a few things. Number one, hockey players are quirky as heck. And so, and there are a lot of quirks to the game, right? So you've got, you know, not only the sort of skating on ice aspect, but like personalities off the ice are amazing. And of course, you've got goons and a movie about, you know, goons, multiple ones. Um, and it's just it's made for some really exciting movies and the way that the sport moves and continually goes that's the kind of pacing you want for a sports movie and so i would argue hockey all the way uh 
over baseball, over basketball. There have not been, by the way, a ton of really good basketball movies. We can go on there. And NFL or football movies like... What are you trying to say about Blue Chips? Blue Chips is fine. Shaq <laughs> yeah. did, did a great job. I'm, I'm going to be talking to Shaq next week. I should ask him about Blue Chips. Um, uh, I don't know. Uh, there are a few, like, but then I, like, you know what, what's weird is that the movies that immediately came to mind when you said basketball were Eddie, which is a movie I saw in the, the theaters. The Whoopi Goldberg one. The Whoopi Goldberg movie, and I, I was like, "Oh my god," <laughs> you know. And Space Jam, which which we I think is vastly overrated, um, and I think people are coming around to that fact now that there's a possible sequel. They're like, "Do we really need another Space Jam?" Um, but you know, there are there are a few other good basketball movies. I mean, there's Hoosiers, obviously, but like, yeah, hockey all the way. I think hockey movies are great, and there are a ton of them, and they are all classics, every one of them. I'm kind of with you on Space Jam. I feel like Space Jam is the type of thing you're nostalgic for if you're like three or four years younger than we are, right? We're about the same age. I feel like we were probably just a little bit old for Space Jam. Does that feel right? Uh, yeah, I, I, I saw it. I was a little old for it. That's true. I think it came out in 90, I want to say 93 or 4. Right, so we're like, we're, so I, so 94, I'm 13 years old, right? So like, you're right up at the at the age where you're like, I don't want to watch a kids movie anymore. I want to watch real movies, you know? All right, you ready for this? It was 1996, so you oh, were 15, yeah, so it was I was 15. 14. Yeah. yeah. So that's that's yeah. So I was I wouldn't I have no I, like I've seen it and like I don't think it's horrible. I think it's like kind of funny. It's got Bill Murray in it. It's got Michael Jordan doing stuff. There's like alien things, you know. Like I appreciate it, but I would have appreciated it more if I were 10 when it came out. Yeah, that's that's a good take on it. Uh, what what which sport are you in agreement about hockey or is there another? I think hockey is good, but honestly, based on empirical evidence, and and I think that a lot of it just has to do with the the move. Like it's it's such a small sample in each group. Like if there were a hundred movies from each sport, I think we could say more definitively. But like of the great sports movies, the only sport I can think of where there's like two movies I will constantly rewatch uh, is golf. Right, because there's because yeah. there's Caddyshack and Happy Gilmore, and those are like two of my favorite movies of all time. Um, People love Tin Cup. Love. Oh uh, no, 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 not no, Tim, no, no, um, no. I I know people who swear by it. I really do. I got I got well so like that that was what I was gonna say and and this is expounding upon the many sports movies of Kevin Costner um, that I really don't like Bull Durham all that much everybody tells me that Bull Durham is like this right and it sounds like sacrilege because I'm a baseball writer and it doesn't really do it for me that I just feel like it's kind of cheesy it's like it's like it's like masked cheesiness in like gritty baseball stuff but ultimately it's just kind of a it's kind of a cheesy movie to me. Um, I love Major League. Like, for baseball movies, I love Major oh, yeah. League. But I don't think that there are... A t I think you're right. Like, I don't think that uh, there are a ton of great baseball movies. Um, the the other Kevin Costner one, For Love of the Game, is I've seen, like, ten minutes of it. That's the worst movie I've ever seen. Uh, it's, like, an <laughs> impos impossibly bad movie. And people will... I've seen people defend that on the Internet. And I'm just here to tell you, if you like that movie, you have bad taste in movies. Uh, that's, a, that's a bad movie. There's just nothing good about that movie. That movie has... Like, no redeeming... The ten minutes I saw, at least, there were no redeeming qualities to that movie. It was like, this is ridiculously bad. Um, it was like, he's standing on the... He's standing on the mound talking to himself about his life. Like, it's a metaphor or something. Just shut up with that. Um, so, yeah. So, I don't know. I feel like, yeah, hockey has a couple of great movies, for sure. Uh, I liked Hoosiers. Boxing has made a bunch of good movies, mostly the Rocky ones. Oh, but yeah. like, I think maybe the maybe there's something to the individual sport over the team sport for movies. 
movies uh, in just that, like, then you can have one central character, you know, which which is harder to do with, with baseball. Um, it's harder to do with the team sports, obviously. Not a, I don't know, at the top of my head, not a ton of great football movies. Unless yeah, you go, like, way few. back. You. You go, they're not that great. Um, yeah, I feel like, yeah, like, I guess if you go way back, right, there's, like, there's, like, the longest yard and stuff, but, uh, I, I wait, those kinds of movies, yeah, they're fine, they're, yeah, I don't know, there's nothing that, I mean, there's, like, Friday Night Lights and Remember the Titans, all these, like, really inspirational, Rudy, obviously, is huge, um, it's always, but, but that's, yeah, those I, are, like, Remember the Titans and, and Rudy are both, they're both Disney movies, right, like, I feel like, uh, the football movie is, like, a Disney movie. Yeah, well, it always turns out that way. Uh, the best of the lot, uh, in my opinion, is Jerry Maguire because it's just it's so good. It's so so good. It, Jer- it, it, so, it feels so true. Jerry Maguire is a good movie, and I don't re- I don't really like Tom Cruise, but I, I think Jerry Maguire is a good movie. But is that a football movie? Do we do we think that's a football movie? Or I, just- I maybe it's sort of a, an all-encompassing sports movie because he's an agent for so many different folks. But I, I think it 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 becomes a, a football movie. It's borderline. You you make a good point there. Uh, hockey movies, by the way. Slapshot, Slapshot's Mystery great. Alaska, you know, Miracle, Goon, um, uh, the Mighty Ducks movies, obviously. I mean, there's there's a long list of those that I'm like, those are those are classics. I mean, if you if you want to count Happy Gilmore, which I don't, it's a it's a golf movie, but he's a hockey player, uh, so maybe there's some crossover there. So maybe you know we, we just married our 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 in the sports that we really like, and uh, you know the the golf hockey movie is is the winner. Um, have you ever seen the movie Breaking Away? I've, oh, is that the uh, is that the wait? Is Breaking Away the 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 bicycle movie? The, the yeah, that bi- one? Yeah, bicycle movie. Very good movie. Yes, really good movie. Yeah, um, from the nineteen eighties, seventies. Yeah, I'm looking. I just looked it up. Nineteen seventy nine. Um, great movie. Yeah, That's like so. Ago, though. So like I don't know. I feel like again, like it's not. And like there's nothing to me. There's nothing terribly compelling about watching cycling. Like I would never turn on the Tour de France. It's just not something I'm going to do, you know, like, there's just better things on TV to me, uh, no, and again, no, if that's how you want to enjoy sports, go to it, but it's just, dudes riding a bike, I ride a bike, like, I don't, I don't need, I don't need to see dudes riding a bike, I know that they're way faster than me, and that it's an incredible feat of endurance, but, uh, it would also be an incredible feat of endurance to watch the entire Tour de France, uh, so, no, it's not a, not a sport I really enjoy, um, but I think that was a movie that, like, sticks with me as, like, this was a really good sports movie, so I think it probably just depends on the movie more than it depends on the sport is ultimately the answer. That's, that's probably true, yes. Um, from Daniel Marcus, I think this is sort of directed at me, but you are welcome to weigh in. Uh, this is at Dan Marcus 92 wants to know, how have you not made a sandwich that consists of all the staple Taco Bell ingredients but on a hoagie roll? Seems like a missed op. Sad. <laughs> um, good, good I, I mean, I don't know how he knows I haven't done that, but uh, because I feel like that's how far off is that from a Sloppy Joe, right? If you're talking like Taco Bell beef, that's like very similar to Sloppy Joe beef. And I've definitely had Sloppy Joes, right? So i kind of done that. Uh, and it's really good. Yeah, I, I, it sounds delicious. Uh, I, it sounds like a torta, maybe, if you, if you, especially if you kind of grill it in some fashion. I don't know. It, mm-hmm. it, it seems like a, now an inspirational project for you, and I, I invite you to do it. Uh, it seems like it would make for a great sandwich. Uh, yeah, no argument here. Yeah, I've made I've made taco pizza, and I've made one time I made, and this was pretty good. It didn't it didn't look as good as it tasted, but I made a uh, a crab salad with wasabi in it, and then put it on a sandwich 
with avocados and possibly like cucumbers to make uh, essentially like a California roll sandwich, and that was really good. That sounds incredible. And and all this talk, by the way, reminds me that Passover is coming up for those of us in, uh, of the, the Jewish faith. Um, and, and matzah pizza, I'm always looking for like new matzah pizza recipes because I've tried it every year. It's a great way to kind of get your, get your way through the week. And like putting Taco Bell ingredients, the ones that are, you know, kosher for Passover on top of a matzah would be incredible. So I'm going to try that this Wait, time. are are any Taco Bell ingredients kosher for Passover? I, I, this is not, well, I mean, it's like, it's not yeah, a world I, mean, I know. Yeah, I mean, it, like you put the, the the cheese and the and the the you know uh, the the meat on top of it. I think that seems pretty much good to go. Uh, th- that seems reasonably kosher to me. Now I'm thinking about it. You're going to get somebody rechamping like, no, it's not. But you can't like put the taco shell on there. That's that's like verboten. Okay, all right. Well, that's that's good to know. Uh, you know what I like from the uh, the matzas is uh, matzah meal. If you take it, so so after Passover, matzahs go on sale at my local grocery store. And if you like put matzah in a in a, I think there's no, it's not matzahs, right? It's just matzah. There's no plural matzahs. Am I right? There's just so you. Put, yeah, yeah, I think um, so. So you put the matzah in a food processor and grind it up into like flour that is actually really good for frying for breading and frying things it's better than just using flour or breadcrumbs or something matzah happens to have like a very high burning temperature so you can fry things at a higher heat without having the the breading burn a very useful ingredient little known fact whoa I, sh- I should remember that because I always end up with leftovers, and I, I just don't want to eat them after Passover. So that I'm keeping my mind. I, I do use it for like eggs. That that works really well. Yeah, I mean, I've, I actually find I find matzah pretty delicious. If it's salted, it's basically like a giant saltine. Um, but <laughs> as it as it so happens, it also works uh, as a breading for fried chicken. That's just that's a free tip from me and the For the Win podcast, which I learned from an actual chef that was talking to me at a bar one night. Uh, next question. Uh, this is we we got a lot of Mets ones. I, I sort of teased that we might talk the Met, we might talk Mets, and so uh, some of our we're both here in New York. We got a lot of Mets fan followers. Some of them came out, uh, including a friend of yours, uh, Mr. Jason Catania, who wants to know how much less sexy are the 2017 Mets going to be now that Big Sexy Bartolo, meaning Bartolo Colon, isn't just gone, but also on the rival Braves. They lost a lot of sexy there. Uh, but but we just talked about uh, at length, uh, no pun intended, uh, the hair of the the Mets pitching staff. I, therefore, I think they've lost some of the big sexy, but the hair sexy is like off the charts. It's, well, it's, he, he and low key had pretty funny hair, right? Because like there's like that's true. In, on top of everything else that's going on with Bartolo Colon, there's also like a little bit of a, of like curly locks coming out the back sometimes. That is true. I uh, never even thought about that. Yeah, that's oh, part yeah. of the it's part of the appeal to me. It's like a subtle part of the appeal, but it's part of the appeal. Uh, yeah, I, I think they've lost some of that uh, funny, sexy. I guess you'd call it. Uh, but the but you know, like the 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 heartthrob sexy, if you want to call it that. Uh, they've got that coming out in spades. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, the the Mets have an extremely hot pitching staff. Even <laughs> uh, even if and I. I <laughs> Uh, even if Matt Harvey has lost his fastball a little bit, uh, in, in I guess both senses of the term, but uh, he, he, he uh, you know, it's it's a it's a good looking young bunch, uh, and I think I think significantly, I would still say significantly less sexy without Bordeaux Cologne, uh, and also I would say, uh, 
a lot more risk inherent without Bartolo Colon on the staff just because that guy is good for 180 to 190 innings, even at 43 years old. And the Mets have four guys returning from arm surgeries in spring training. I get that the, the aforementioned Robert Gesellman is sort of the insurance piece right now, and they've got Seth Lugo as well. It's a fairly deep starting staff, but uh, 190 league average innings is not an easy thing to find, and Bartolo Colon provides that pretty reliably. So I think they're going to miss him uh, more than they expect just as a member of the roster. Yeah, I'm going to also throw in a, a, a little... Uh, um you know, self-promotional thing for a second is when I, when I did the oral history of the Bartolo Colon home run three months after it happened, which you can go on For the Win and search for and find. I did it back in, uh, well, I guess it would be August. Uh, yeah, it, all the guys in the clubhouse talked about what a great guy he was to, to have around and what a, what a presence he was. And so in all seriousness, I think they're going to miss that because he's like a relaxed dude, you know, kind of keeps everybody on uh, laughing and, and, and uh, on their toes a little bit in terms of the, the humor in the clubhouse. So I think they're going to miss him from that perspective. It's kind of a, a, a blow in that way. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot to learn from Bartolo Colon, if you're, especially if you're a young pitcher, right? First and foremost, that this guy gets by, that you don't have to throw 99 miles an hour every time to get batters out, right? If you're placing everything perfectly, if you throw strikes, right, you don't need, you don't even need a breaking pitch, right? Bartolo Colon <laughs> is an effective pitcher throwing 90% fastballs at 90 miles an hour tops because he has so much movement and so much much control and command of the fastball that it makes him extremely effective even at age 43 and even throwing sometimes you know mid to high 80s uh, and with it's it's an it's an incredible thing to watch um, I also think he is you know sort of quietly and and it doesn't I don't you know like, I, I don't it doesn't it doesn't fit with his, I think, perceived reputation, but I think in truth he's a very hard worker. Uh, you see sort of yeah. the off-season training videos, and I think he's a guy who is you know, very much dedicated to uh, his craft and what he's doing and keeping himself in the shape he needs to be in to compete. Uh, I would also say deceptively good athlete. We've seen how good of a, a fielder he is. He hit the home run, which you talked about. Um, so I think, you know, and, and this is what guys always say, is the way he goes about his business. Business, I think, is something that all of the younger Mets could stand to benefit from because he is the guy who's still an effective major leaguer at age 43, right? So that that is definitely um, both, I think, inspiring and probably uh, enlightening for younger guys. Let's uh, let's go on. Uh, this is from this is another Taco Bell one. This is from Maggie Hendricks at Maggie Hendricks, who's our colleague, uh, a recent podcast guest. She wants to know, would you appreciate a Super Bowl party catered by Taco Bell, or would you run screaming? For me, that is easy. I would love a, t a Super Bowl party t catered by Taco Bell. The one concern I would have is that Taco Bell stuff is best eaten fairly fresh. You want it at Taco Bell or in the car on the way out of the Taco Bell drive-thru. If you're trying to hold a Taco Bell item for more than like 15 minutes, it's not going to be as good. So I would need the Taco Bell to like show up immediately when I got hungry. Um, this is where I, you know, I, I love your expertise and I, you know, I'm not a huge fast food and when I say fast food, I mean really like the McDonald's and Taco Bell's and Roy Rogers and so on and down the line person of this world. I do enjoy the, the occasional trip when I'm on a road trip down somewhere or out somewhere to stop by and be like, oh, you know, I'm going to eat, uh, you know, my first, uh, Burger King in, you know, years, um, as a once in a while thing. I would not run screaming for the hills, but I'd sort of be like, oh man, where are the wings and where are like all the, where's the, you know, the guacamole, the real guacamole, you know, and so on and so forth. I, I would probably be like, 
All right, I guess I'll eat this, but I'd really like some, you know, some more traditional Super Bowl food, please. That's that's my take. Uh, uh, and no offense to Taco Bell, I think you know, I I just ate the new what is it, the naked chicken taco thing. That yeah, you, I brought you, know, you, you that. Yeah, and I I said I I'm surprised. I really like this. So actually, maybe if they had all that, I'd be like, you know what? Pretty underrated Super Bowl party. So uh, there's a part of me that thinks that that that, that would be fine. I would want in there a. I would want Taco Bell's. I would have to like call them up and we'd have to negotiate what they're willing to do to make it. I think you're right. I think I would want a little bit more Super Bowl friendly. So like one thing I'm thinking is like a buffalo naked chicken chalupa would be go. a good Super Bowl snack um, because I do I do tend to want that buffalo flavor, you know, like that, which is ultimately just Frank's Red Hot. Um, I, right. wa- I want that somewhere in my football uh, palette of things I'm going to eat during the Super Bowl. So I would want Taco Bell in this case to provide it, or I guess I could just take the Frank's Red Hot sauce out of my, out of my refrigerator and pour it all over the Taco Bell fried chicken and we'd be golden. I have been known to do such things with many foods as just take out the Frank's Red Hot and just dump it all over it. All right. I, and I have no shame about that. Um, we got a couple more. I want to go through these real quick because we're getting up on, up against the time thing. Um, but they're good ones. Uh, at Greg Presto wants to know better city-based raps. Uh, he just says better city-based song. I gave away the answer. Uh, welcome to Atlanta, Jermaine Dupree and Ludacris, or shipping up to Boston. And he follows with, and why is the answer welcome to Atlanta? Because of Ludacris, obviously. It's because Ludacris is on the song, and every Ludacris song is basically a banger. Uh, I don't particularly love the man's music. It's not something I, I seek out. But but there's never a time when Ludacris comes on the radio when I'm like, oh, no, I don't want to hear Ludacris right now. Ludacris makes me want to get up and throw my arms in the air and dance. Yeah, I love Ludacris, and I love a lot of his tunes, and he, he's, a, like, a really fast rapper, and I always marvel at that. And, you know, you know definitely great. No complaints there. I got to say, Shuffle off to, uh, Shipping Off to Boston is a great song, and it's a really great pump-up song, and I know that it's been overused in Boston and also just sporting events in general, that you just hear that, da-na, 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 da-na. you know, you hear that, and you're just like, oh, I know what song this is, and I'm going to get pumped up, but it's such a pump-up song, and it's loud, and it's, you know, it's kind of, um, I don't know, there's something about it. It's up there, it, it, to me, it's entered, like, the pantheon of great Songs you hear in an arena, and you're just immediately like, yeah, even though I've heard this song a billion times, it's awesome. Um, so I'm, I'm going that route, uh, but, I, you know, Luda all the way. I mean, I, I think I think you're right. Like, I, I loved it. Um, Daniel Murphy's uh, at that song has long been, yeah. you know, and it's the dropkick Murphy's is the band. Um, when Murphy was tearing up the the NLCS in 2015, hearing it when when you like he was like that looming batter and I guess he really was for all of 2016 with how good he was like when you know oh the, there's a rally coming and then you hear that song kick in you're like oh now it's happening like now it's on and and uh oh yeah yeah and and then but then he was completely trumped in the Mets realm by Joanna Cespedes first with a song about Joanna Cespedes and how awesome he is and then with the opening part of the Lion King um which is just like which you wouldn't even think about like the, the the presence of mind that this guy has to recognize that as a dope at bat song is so incredible because you never think about how cool that would be played out and i think about this stuff all the time right but you never think about how cool that would be played out a, a, against a giant arena and then you hear it and like cespedes again is this like focal point of the team's offense and you're who's gonna come up next and you hear like you know and 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 it's like the most epic thing in the world and I love it. 
Yeah, it, it, and it, it's it, because the perfect combination of songs that everyone loves to like get up and and be excited about with the person that people love to get up and, and be excited about. Let me just throw in one insidery feeling uh, uh, thing is that Eric Campbell, who's I, I don't know if he's still in the organization. I don't think so. Um, sort of a, you know Suit. utility player. He had like one of the best um, at bat songs I've ever heard because it was like out of nowhere. It's the opening guitar riff to the Rolling Stones, uh, Can't You Hear Me Knocking? And I was like, wow, that's like a yeah, really Yeah, getting knocks. It, it, it really, you know, really kind of pumps you out. And I was like, wow, that is a really solid pick right there. And, and you know, it's sort of outside the realm of normal at bat songs. And I was just very impressed with that. Uh, TJ Rivera also has a, has a good song. It's the, it's a, it's a, uh, hip hop song. It's called Deja Vu. It's by uh, I'm losing it, uh, but it, it's it's the same song that they used at the beginning of the Shakira song. The and it is uh, it is it is dope, um, and it is a reference to uh, his his native the Bronx, um, which is cool. Right. Um, all right. Last we have two more. Two more. Uh, this one is clearly for you. He didn't mention you on this this tweet, but I know that you and I both love uh, traditional tabloid style headline puns. And okay. Rob M at Wubsta W U B S T A Wubsta uh, wants to know who has the most pun uh, headline fr- friendly name in Major League Baseball or all of sports. Uh, that's tough. It, uh, I'm putting you yeah. on the spot. I'm putting you on the spot. There's a there's there's a bunch. I mean, Bartolo Colon is a really good one, right? Um, because you can make colon jokes, which is right. nice. Uh, I um, the Miroslav Satan was a favorite of mine, right? Because you could make like Satan jokes, especially when he was on the Devils, you know. So that that was fun. Um, I mean, it's not not how you pronounce it, you know, but it's it's fun. Um, I don't know. I'm trying to think of others that that come to mind. I should have prepared you for this one because I feel that's like that's okay. I, yeah, I, I, that's okay. There, I, what's coming to mind is a bad one, but I'm throwing it out there anyway because I just remember it so so vividly. Which was um, Octavio Dotel, former closer, who was a <laughs> Mets pitcher for all five seconds. There was a, a, a he he. I forgot what season it was. You know, he had a really rough game toward the end of the season, and 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 the headline was Heartbreak Dotel. And I was like, I think that was one of those moments. I was like, oh my god, it'd be great to work for the Post, which I did for all of like five months once. Um, and I just fell in love with like the the idea that tabloid headlines could be these really creative puns. As uh, our for the win uh, staffers, all uh, coworkers know that I'm huge into puns. So uh, yeah, that's the one that comes to mind, and it's not a great one. Um, current athletes, I mean, you want to with the yo thing that was pretty good um that's another one that comes to mind it's so hyper local i kind of want to like take a few minutes like run through uh some athletes and figure it out but that you know that's a pretty good one well i feel like the new york ones will like are naturally the ones that come up because those are the this is the place where the ridiculous headline pun really carries the day right like this is i feel like no the daily news and the post are just like miles ahead of every other newspaper in the country in headline puns yeah, it's true. I mean, I, I think that I'm now rifling through like my head for like Jets and Giants uh, players because those come up a lot. I think Eli Manning because you get elite and you know the Manning. You know that that's a pretty good one actually. I yeah, would say, like you could just always go with like who's the Manning and stuff like that. Exactly. Right. Right. Yeah, you the Manning now, dog. I don't know. You know, it, it's just there's you need a name that is versatile for 
all kinds of things. And of course, Eli Manning has been on the back page so many times. I think that's that's uh, a pretty that that would be my vote. I'm going to throw in for a current athlete who is most. Uh, uh, good for the tabloids. That's Eli Manning for sure. For that, for the thing you mentioned before about like random old Mets pitchers landing on headlines, I remember. I guess it was, uh, man, it must. I was working. I, I know I was working in the deli, so it means it was somewhere between 2002 and 2004, I guess, or 2001 and 2000. Yeah, it was 2001 and 2004. Um, and I remember there was a there was a game. The Mets were terrible, and a pitcher named Jay So that you probably oh, remember yeah. uh, had a great game. Like, and the Mets were like you know twenty games out out of first place, and Jay So threw like an eight innings of one hit ball or something like that. And the headline the next day was just so what. <laughs> <laughs> and it was just so mean that I kind of loved it. Like, they were just like, yeah, so what? You had a good game. Um, oh, so I've, that one's always kind of stuck with me. That's, that's a fine, fine pick. All right, last one is clearly for me, and I don't know really how to answer this one. Um, and, and we could talk about it a little bit. So uh, Michael Tomaselli, I hate haters, uh, asks, why can't the MLBPA just include minor league players? Now, the background on this is that I just wrote a story this week about uh, a Mets minor leaguer, Kyle Johnson, who uh, is the first player to, to speak out and speak publicly about, uh, his first active player to speak publicly about a, a lawsuit against Major League Baseball by a group of 40 minor league players uh, that he is attempting to join, um, and, and four active players are attempting to join, holding that Major League Baseball does not apply the standards of the Fair Labor Standards Act to minor league baseball players, meaning that minor league baseball players essentially, uh, while they're on their first seven-year contract, are making less than minimum wage. And uh, if you know, we can go deep into numbers, but rookie ball players start at $1,100 a month. They only get paid for the five months of the season, and they don't get paid for spring training, which is mandatory. Um, they get $25 per diem on the road, which uh, pales in comparison to their their uh, uh, counterparts in minor league hockey. Uh, as they ascend through the ranks, they make slightly more money, but still you're talking about, uh, in Johnson's case, as a, a veteran minor leaguer in his second year at AAA, uh, $2,400 a month. And again, only for the five months of the season. It's absurd to consider that uh, that playing minor league baseball is only a part-time job, which is the case that the teams hold, right? That it's in a, a seasonal apprenticeship uh, when these guys are, are the backbone of baseball. Uh, even the guys who aren't making the major leagues, yes, they're they're playing. It's a lottery ticket. They're playing for this long shot hope, but uh, those guys are necessary for, for building major league baseball as we know it. Uh, those are the guys against whom rehabbing pitchers will, will work to get their game back to major league level. They're the guys on base for the big hot prospects to drive in when they need to learn how to hit with runners in scoring position uh, and and they are not making enough money they're just not making enough money baseball is a, a nine plus I think I think 2016 it might have hit 10 billion uh, in in revenue uh, it is a giant giant business that is making a ton of money and these guys who are working uh, tirelessly in its service and yes Playing baseball professionally is super awesome, and there would be a lot of people who are willing to do it, but they are also uh, the top 
like 0.0001 percentile of baseball players in the planet. It is a very, very much a skilled uh, job, and they have no union representative, uh, no no union representation, and thus uh, they make uh, almost no money. They they have in, they have not uh, ha seen their salaries meet inflation over the past. 40 years since free agency, a uh, time span in which uh, major league salaries have increased. The average major league salary has increased by 10,000%. Uh, so it's a it's a it's an issue. Um, I don't know. Do you have anything to say on this? Uh, just that that yeah, it's 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 a problem. And also, you know, I know I'm talking to the guy, and I know I work before the wind. But man, you should read Ted Berg's story. Go and <laughs> click on it. It's great. You're damn right. You should. <laughs> uh, but yeah, but. Um, I so I had a I had a lot of conversations with people who are quoted in the story. I had some conversations with people who are not quoted in the story. Um, I especially spoke to a lot of people from. Uh, so I spoke to some some union lawyers, some union lawyers I know, some union lawyers I I don't know that I sort of sought out or, or found me and. Uh, uh, some people on the record, some people off the record. So I, I have to be careful about like what I I hate I hate admitting that, but I, I you got to kind of be careful about what you say because you don't want to divulge things that were told to you on background or off the record. But my understanding is that uh, it would be extremely difficult for the MLBPA to incorporate the minor league players. It would require a ton of organization, like a, a process that. Uh, MLBPA doesn't really have in place right now. There's no, uh, there's no easy way for them to just say, okay, let's let in these uh, whatever it is, 5,000 extra guys or, or, or something. So uh, it would be, uh, I, I kept hearing like hurdles, complications, uh, difficulties. To me, I feel like the actual Major League Baseball players should step up on behalf of their minor league Brethren, I understand why they don't. Everybody's got their own self-interest in mind. No one wants to rock the boat. I get it. You're in the majors. You're making tons of money. But those are the guys you played with a few years ago, and they're still out there making uh, 10700 a year or whatever it is, and, and you're now making you know, seven 700000 a year on your third year in the majors. Um, so I, I kind of feel like it would take a movement among the players, among the major league players, the guys who are indispensable, to uh, actually make that happen. And I think even then, uh, it would be a very complicated thing. I mean, among other things, when you're uh, when you're when you're making ten thousand dollars a year, if even if your union dues are a percent, you're not you're not uh, paying. You're not going to be shelling out a lot of union dues and you need to pay people to organize and to uh, to represent you and all those things so it's hard uh, it's it's hard to get there right there's not a lot of uh, incentive for the most indispensable minor leaguers the guys fast track to the majors the guys who got big big signing bonuses they don't have a ton of incentive to to shake things up and and uh, and try to change the system because they're gonna be in the major league soon so it's really the the career minor league guys who are getting completely jobbed here um, I don't know. I can't. I can't speak for anyone else or say what I, I would do if I were in any situation. But I think what it takes for those two guys to get more money is ultimately um, because they'll never have a, a huge voice, right? Because um, they are always going to be the guys who are desperate for the opportunity to play and to prove themselves at every level. Um, but I think that to get them fair pay, it would require a, a movement among uh, the guys that the teams are already paying a whole lot. And uh, outside of 
of the um, at the these collective bargaining rooms, and something that that came up on on the most recent show as well, uh, when a bunch of the Dominican guys, uh, Latin players, showed up. Uh, to prevent uh, an international draft, which would have hurt baseball in the Dominican Republic, among other places. Um, outside of that, there's very, very few examples of sort of the, the major league players uh, speaking out on behalf of their minor league counterparts. So uh, I think that's what it's going to take. It, it hopefully will, you know, I hope so, because reading that story, it's a reminder that this is just, it's absurd how little money these, these guys make. It's, it's crazy. Charles, uh, you can check out the For the Win podcast on SoundCloud, on iTunes, on Stitcher. Please rate us and review us everywhere. Uh, we want to hear feedback. Let us know what's going on. Uh, thank you, Charles, for joining me today. And I think you've done a great job filling in for Hemel. I appreciate it. Of course. Happy to do it. Anytime, man. And, of course, thanks to everyone who asked questions. We, we, uh, they are the lifeblood of the Q&A uh, sessions here, so obviously we very much appreciate it. Uh, enjoy the weekend and the Super Bowl, and enjoy, Charles, enjoy the rest of your day. <laughs>